0: I believe in that as the world pulls you to be specialized, try to make sure that you are being diversified and whether it's skill sets, community, businesses, but you got to stay somewhere close to a home. But I think that breadth of skill and breadth of relationship and experience, that's the thing to me that I've seen that really differentiates the big leaders versus the somewhat leaders versus the managers versus the workers.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast, where we will learn from today's global leaders in fintech, business, and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armaza. My guest today is Brad Levy, CEO of Symfony, a communications platform that securely connects markets, organizations, and individuals in the financial sector. Founded in 2014 by David Gurleff. The company now powers over 170 million monthly messages and has raised more than half a billion dollars from top industry investors. In this conversation, Brad and I discuss Symphony's ambitious roadmap for the coming years and how Brad plans to pursue and find value at a very granular industry level, growth by M&A, and why this will be a foundational part of their strategy, plus lessons on how to successfully execute an acquisition and integration. Hint, make sure the people and cultures can fit together. The return to the office, and why Brad is a big believer of a hybrid approach that brings people together often. Corporate leadership lessons. What are the three elements necessary to succeed at any stage of your career? well, it's curiosity, teamwork, and hard work, and also why generalists thrive in a world of specialists and the best managers have a breadth of skills, experience, and relationships. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Brad Levy, CEO of Symphony. Well, Brad, welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast. Absolutely thrilled to, to have you here. I, I'm guessing all the way from uh, the East Coast, right?
0: I am, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I am here in New Jersey.
1: Great. So, you, I am guessing you you work in New York, right? You commute. I do. Yeah, yeah. But do you get to travel a bit these days now that we're sort of back, sort of not?
0: Yeah, I am getting around a bit. I've been, you know, a bit international—London and Paris in the last few months—and getting to Boston and Miami. Some conferences, you know, it's definitely been picking up in the last few months. Just activity in New York and Miami. In other areas I just came back from l a so yeah definitely getting around and um, you know you know sometimes home sometimes in New York City sometimes traveling now, so it's interesting to figure out all the different modes
1: yeah and I guess it makes sense. We'll talk about Symphony in a second, but Symphony is a very global company with employees all over the world and offices I know uh, in several parts of the globe so I'm excited to hear about that but before we jump into symphony and you know, let's hear about your your story, particularly, you know, the professional background that brought you here.
0: Yeah, sure. Happy to take you through a very quick version. But I'm 30 years into working, I guess, on the street, in some ways, you know, in different ways. Obviously, I spent the first 20 years of my career in more the banking capital markets world Where the last 10 years of that. So from 2000 to 2010, it was very much in fintech and market infrastructure and industry initiatives or consortia, for the 90 to 2000 timeframe, I was a banker and capital markets person. So I had that 10 years of capital markets banking, then I did sort of 10 years inside of Goldman Sachs, really, you know, doing more strategic uh, investments and in market infrastructure and electronic trading, clearing settlement, data initiatives. And then I eventually left to join a um, a portfolio company actually called Market before it went public in 2014. I joined in 12 and just went on that journey for uh, another eight or so years there. So I moved out of, you know, the bank into the market infrastructure side as an operator. And during that whole time, I had involvement in the collaboration technology space for those twenty years from two thousand to today. And in the last year or so, I, I joined Symphony uh, as one of the execs and have have moved, uh, you know, into the CEO more recently. So it's a few different, you know, narratives arcs there in in thirty years. But um, you know, the last ten you know, very much in a post-Dodd-Frank, post-crisis ramp up of fintech and market infrastructure and, you know, from crypto to settlements and a lot of things in between.
1: So Brad, I have the, I guess, the fortune and the advantage of having interviewed your predecessor, David Mm Gurley. And this was at the very height and at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, If I'm not mistaken, this was May And of 2020. Yeah. I remember him talking how during the first month, growth just exploded. If I'm not mistaken, it was 300%. Yeah. And internally, they could not believe it. They thought something was wrong, <laughs> right? So and this is also around the time that you joined. Now right? you joined during the summer of 2020?
0: Yeah, I mean, I decided we, literally in April 1 and then joined officially in July 6. So I was sort of in ramp-up mode in that exact time frame when the pandemic, the lockdown hit. And then obviously I joined the company post, uh, you know, into the summer of 20.
1: Yeah, and so it's not a, an exaggeration to say that you joined during a hypergrowth period of the company, right? Tell us about those first few months and your experience joining uh, Symphony. You know, first of all, you probably joined remotely. Yeah. And how, you know, has it been ever since?
0: Well, having, you know, I was speaking to them for a bit, obviously, about joining. I've known David Gerlay since 2004. So we worked, to, you know, we almost worked together years ago on initiatives and it didn't happen. But, you know, I've been around David for a long time. So end of 19, when I started talking, the pandemic didn't exist. To me, you know, the pandemic's a horrible thing, but the reality is that it really defined the space of collaboration technology to some degree where Zoom became a verb. You know, these things just exploded. We were one of those explosions. The the comfort for us was, you know, the system performed well through that massive increase in usage, which was a testament to the work it did for the prior years in resiliency and really was a test. And then the need for something that works mobile at the edge where people are at home on their phone or whatever, you know, desktop by the web, like that was a really valuable thing in the crisis. And we benefited from an explosion in remote work. We're part of that movement of remote work and distributed work and distributed systems. I'd say that's the thing coming more now is distributed systems, knowing we have to be able to work from anywhere, as I experience every day here today, you know flying tomorrow at in new york city the next day so yeah we definitely i came into that moment and um it uh it was real and i joined july you know i do think it was a 600 person is firm when i joined which is not a small number of people but the fact that i joined in new york but really wasn't pinned to an office i did get to meet a lot more of the firm more quickly in my opinion so that was a benefit i didn't expect it I got to know the organization well quickly, and if I just joined a new york office non covid non pandemic non lockdown I would have known the New York team really well and others less well unless I traveled there so it was really a nice flattener for me and it really did get me you know this was like it was this was every conversation for a year um then I started to see people more somehow through small events and then the last you know few months it's been a ramp up of travel and Seeing people now who I've just met virtually, even clients, or you know, so that's been an interesting joining in the in July twenty, coming through a real lockdown, and now getting out and experiencing the you know that that interaction in person, and and I see the benefits of all modes, which is interesting to me because I never, you know, you can see the hybrid, whatever that means, coming all over the place.
1: Yeah, and and so you've been at the CEO role for let's say six months. Yeah, since so. June right tell us how symphony looks today right and and what's your goal over the next year or two because you did come in with an ambitious plan you're executing your vision right now and uh it's only it's only
0: up from here on right well yeah at least mentally and emotionally i think it's only up from here on knowing sometimes it's down because that's life but um I mean, you saw at the Innovate event, we demonstrated a lot of capabilities on the back of what we've done in our strategy. And I think it really is just this pursuit of value at a much more granular level. And I think David and the company have set us up well to have this pervasive presence and this enterprise capability. But now it's really about going into the workflows of the operations professional and looking at the credit markets as a broad cross-section of assets, including derivatives and Uh, bonds and loans and many different types of credit markets globally by region, by function. So I think it's that granularity that's, it's been our focus for the last year. We're actually now leaning into that by what we've acquired and how we're implementing those acquisitions and the integrated solutions, you know, going after a portfolio manager as a user, not just another user, you know, paying some amount per month. So I think we're just getting specific, deep and using our stack and our partnerships and our acquisitions to drive value that people are willing to pay us inside of that value, something.
1: Let's talk a bit about that because you do have an M&A strategy. You are public about wanting to pursue more of that. Is is this going to continue being a part of your strategy, more more M&A down the line, 2022,
0: 2023? Yeah. You know, it will absolutely be a foundation of our strategy, although it can't be the foundation of our strategy. And I'll explain what that means. It sounds like I just, uh, you know, uh, rebutted my comment. But, you know, our strategy strategically is X, Y, and Z. And we know where we want to go and what we want to do. And we think we have a good enough view of problems today and coming tomorrow that we could solve and create value. We then believe that acquiring will accelerate that strategy and that growth secondary to a view that we can there's a problem set we can solve and and create a valuable company in the process. Being bigger helps, but being bigger for the sake of being bigger definitely doesn't help. So I think it's that how do we have an organic strategy that could be accelerated by acquisitions and then well thought out, well executed acquisitions, well integrated, you know, left alone where appropriate, integrated deeply where appropriate, over time where appropriate. And I think we, if we just get that organic strategy right and the acquisitions that accelerate that, you know, as opposed to we're going to buy business to look bigger and be bigger and then we're not run an integrated company. So we're definitely going to buy a number of companies in my view, a team and the, you know, the whole community actually seems to be behind the idea. To be honest, this is not just us thinking. We believe there's a consolidation phase we're in and we think we're a good consolidator of certain things, either... Good companies that need more acceleration, good products that need more adoption, good people that need a place to do product, or just a combination that is a great combination for us to leverage is what we already are. And
1: so having been on the I guess, the banking side from from Goldman, mm-hmm. now on the operating side as an acquirer of other companies, what would you say is the most challenging part for to execute a successful M&A transaction?
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to go real cliche, but I do on these things. It's uh, not these pockets. I mean, like it's people. It really is like you get the people right on acquisition strategies. Life gets easy quickly. If you get it wrong, it's a perpetual nightmare. You can't just acquire people. But if you think about assets as a whole, like companies, and you lead with thinking of great product companies or great client companies or great service companies, they're probably great people there. And then you have to match up lots of other things like geographies and personalities and uh, complementarity, if that makes sense, that word. I think it's a word. You know, If you get people that are complementary to each other and meet at the right space and time, those acquisitions get real easy. Now, you can't religiously have all of those things on every deal, but if the people fit together at the right time, it's really easy. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you look at problems or solutions or what the world's looking for and try to create a combination of companies that do that. And then you look at finance and product and technology and all the things in between, but people and sort of where's the industry going and what would the industry benefit from having together? And then you interpolate those two things. So those are the things I kind of think about a lot with MA strategy. Are these people we want to work together or is it just a smash together and fire people or? figure it out later, which is probably not. I've seen you know, I've seen those types of roll-up initiatives and they're not as fun at a minimum. They tend not to work out that well.
1: Yeah. And, and so talking about product, let's uh, zoom in a little bit on your customers. What's symphony's approach to stay close to the customer and continue improving and iterating based on feedback that you're hearing from your clients?
0: Starting with the back of that, we have to hear the feedback, not just by, and by hear, listen and take it in, right? So there's always a good feedback loop with clients. The question is, are you listening? And then using, so I think we have to really pay attention to what our clients are saying. We also have to probably know them better in the future than they know themselves, right? Because it's hard for an industry that's been doing things for dozens, if not a hundred years sometime. time. I mean, literally there's practices that are 50, hundred years old in terms of how the industry works. It's not scary. It's just fact. Like Banking in parts or asset management in parts is, is not a 20-year-old industry. So how do you get them to work with you today, knowing you're really thinking a bit beyond where they are from a technology perspective? And I think, you know, thinking of your MA as, you know, what am I as a company today? And how can I look at an investment bank, a commercial bank, an asset manager, an asset owner, and a retail investor or wealth manager, you know, simply, right. I didn't say bonds. I didn't say front, middle, back office. I didn't say software services. I'm like, who are these people? Where the world's going and what, how could I make symphony more relevant over time and kind of take that, always look at my arc a bit further than my clients while not forcing them like into some box that I want them to be in and build for that future, but more. Perpetually adding value, and you know, I think Symphony's a unique animal. I think with Cloud Nine and Street Link's acquisitions, it's even more unique. The partnerships we've struck now, which is about a dozen, and you'll see a lot more of that in the next six months. And it's just a platform that the industry will be able to utilize in a lot of different ways. And again, M and A is just one of the tools to make it a bigger, more valuable platform. And if, if there's competitors for us that we buy, that's a. I'm not sure there really are competitors for us directly. Like I'm not sure you think about what we do and where we're doing it i'm not sure there's a direct compare but even the idea of acquiring comp- competitors that's more than you have to pick products you have to pick sales teams like you're in a different MA strategy if you're buying competitive businesses versus complementary businesses i think our strategy is more about that complementary complementarity you know a business a product a value prop of people and it, again it makes things because we're fitting together and leveraging versus acquiring and creating synergy.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and let's talk a bit about privacy because you, you're serving the financial industry primarily. And I think one of the big reasons why you're growing, uh, and you have so many trusted partners is because your approach to privacy and, and security, uh, has resonated, of course. Um, what, tell us a bit more about Symfony's approach to user privacy.
0: Well, I mean, it was founded on an end-to-end encrypted network technically that really never breaks that. We just don't see the data as a company and the keys are are, are held by our clients, right? So there's that real secure physical infrastructure. We also have you know, uh, a view that as we move toward digitalization and disruption of life cycles and workflows and supply chains, you know, we kind of understand how to deal with the legacy or classic tech and bridge to the new modern world. So not on, we're an encrypted network physically, but we're also, we understand enough about the system to know that it's different than other systems. And, you know, privacy of information and security and resiliency is important in every industry on the planet. It just happens to be like the foundations of finance. Without it, we kind of don't exist because we're only data. And security, right? We're not, we, built, we, we finance things that are more physical, like power plants and hospitals or whatever, but ultimately we are just about data and wires and connectivity and relationships. So we are a trusted encrypted network and we understand the business enough to know this is a hypersensitive piece of data in a hypersensitive moment with people that are really sensitive to them being seen as looking at it. Because that could be a tell on where the market's going on a highly illiquid asset, right? To take it all the way through a mark. I'm not just talking compliance and security and infosec. I'm talking privacy of data and what you're doing physically, because that could be a tell to a market. So we just don't want that to be known by anybody other than who has a right to see it based on business or regulation.
1: Understood, understood. And speaking a bit about your own personal leadership approach. From within the company one, one of the things i was reading is that you're a big proponent of returning to the office maybe not pre-pandemic model but you do find a lot of value in in working right next to each other and and so do I by the way I'm um, but I, I do like a hybrid approach uh, tell us about your, your approach and yeah you know what does it look like today at symphony
0: Well, I mean, I I just kind of believe in cycles and pendulums, maybe. And I think when the pendulum swings far, which it has to a, I mean, there was a time six months into the pandemic where people said, we just never, ever have to go to the office again. It's unnecessary. It's even a waste of space and time and energy. I said, I understand not wanting to go to the office, but never having an office like that didn't make sense to me. And I started to try to create a little bit of momentum on the well, sometime in the office probably makes sense for most people. And I just believe that having a three-dimensional physical relationship helps relationships develop in some ways, right? You don't need it all the time everywhere, but there's a interaction you have with people in person that you just, it's hard to replicate. And then there's those special moments that you have on a little quick convo that turns to another five combos in the same day without scheduling a 30 minute call um, virtually. So you know, I just believe some uh, moderation is needed in all things. The pendulum swung too far. I just kind of said we should be back in the office sometimes. You know, I do think it's. I, then people just started to zero in on three fifths. Like I'm going to be in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and everybody's out Monday, Friday. I'm like, well, everybody's not the the person who works reception. Maybe they're in five days a week. So, and maybe the developer needs to be in a couple of days every couple of weeks, right? Because they could be more remote and their job is a bit different than the salesperson or the leader the manager of people. So again like there was just too much like bucketing and pendulum swinging a direction. So for me it's like a 50-50 world of moderation. Give people enough flexibility to run their own life in a hybrid world and then industries and offices and cities that may have worse or better commutes will see the pendulum swinging in different levels. You know New York City is different than LA is different than San Fran is different than Miami, like just those major cities, and what's acceptable and even optimal is going to be different just because of commute.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, th- that makes sense. And, and it's interesting also that the, the pandemic has kind of caused this wave for a lot of companies to hire a lot more remote employees in, in places that previously they would not have considered. Has this also been the case for Symphony?
0: Yeah, I mean I think well there's a dynamic where the you know the work supply chain is challenged right there's a shortage of workers generally so there's a bit of like wherever they are hire them the pandemic has kind of enabled that even more because people want to be where they want to be. Uh, I do think people need to figure out you know the breadth of you know a firm that's very big can say you can work in any state but smaller firms that's a big overhead it's challenging even in the United States to be in multiple states so just have to think about you know how much you need to be together you know the administration of it et cetera but there's definitely been an increase in people you know being hired and working from wherever they are developers again more easily than other roles which maybe a bit more you know needing to be you know around some critical mass of people
1: Brett w- one thing I like about our audience uh, of listeners and readers is that we have a good number of aspiring business leaders current. CEOs and leaders, and, and as well as entrepreneurs. So you, you've been in, in numerous leadership positions over the years. What are some reflections you, you would like to share with some people that are maybe a few years behind you? you know, what, what are some of the things that have worked for you that, that have been impactful over the time?
0: Yeah, well, I guess there's again a bit of cliche, but you know something that you're interested in helps if you want to lead versus just manage things or manage people, right? It just helps if you care a bit or a lot. And then I get down to like curiosity, teamwork, hard work—like three typical elements that I would say at any age are, are required to win and succeed. And that's again pretty generic. Even if you don't want to lead, it's probably just good to be curious, work hard, and be a team player. But then I, I think, and I again, there's a book I often reference. Books I don't—I read enough to be sort of not dangerous. But you know, there's a there was a book out called Range, which talked about why generalists thrive in a specialist world. And it stepped back and said the people that are really leading on these massive scales, like names you know in the world, these people driving so many different companies or initiatives, you know, the Richard Bransons or the you know the Elon Musk's, like they they have so much and Roger Federer, they have so much range, right? They're not specialists anywhere as much as they just have this broad experience, broad knowledge, broad relationships, broad sense of the world and culture. And we're all forced to be pretty specialized quickly in life, especially now in the last 20, 30 years it's picked up. We see it with our kids. And sort of if you pull the other direction and say, I'm gonna be a generalist, I'm gonna kind of be a enough to be dangerous in a lot of different disciplines and you have a better shot of leading and doing bigger things. So I believe in that as the world pulls you to be specialized, try to make sure that you are being diversified and whether it's skill sets, community, businesses, but you got to stay somewhere close to a home. But I think that breadth of skill and breadth of relationship and experience that's the thing to me that I've seen that really differentiates the big leaders versus the somewhat leaders versus the managers versus the workers. And when
1: you think of the the people that had the biggest impact on your career and some of the most consequential folks, does anyone come to mind?
0: Well, I mean, I think I was at Goldman for a long time, so the way they ran where they they just move people around a lot and you got a lot of different experiences there. And even if you were junior, you got higher level experience. If you were in ops, you may have moved to front office or front office, you may have moved to operate. It it just seemed to get people around more. So I experienced it, I would say organizationally there. And then if I look at like people like Lance Oogla, who I worked very closely with at market for many years and he was just a lot of different things before I even met him and then after I met him he became a bunch of different things and he's still doing a bunch of different things. So he's just somebody that's kind of been, you know, the embodiment of having that range and you know just keeping things moving in many different circles and cycles and uh reinventing himself and others around him. So I'd say he's one I mean I could think of 10 people kind of like that but he was over the last 20 years for me watching what he did with Market and how he led that you know, without leading everything day to day all the time was, was really interesting to see. And again, it ties back into that point of having that that breadth. Fantastic.
1: Well, Brad, uh, I'm really glad we caught up. And, you know, it's exciting to see all the progress over the years of, of Symphony. So thanks for stopping by. I'm sure the audience will would be delighted to listen to this interview. So I uh,
0: appreciate you stopping by. No, thanks. And thanks for being interested. It's uh, helpful to get uh, the message out. Appreciate the platform.
1: Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brad Levy, CEO of Symphony. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the great editor, Rafael Ostria, for this amazing work behind the scenes. Till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armazza.